welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. got your Bible with you today. Our Bible reading for today is found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, and we're going to read verse 19 through to verse 22, and I'm going to be reading just out of my Bible, um, which is the English Standard Version. I think that might be NIV on the screen, but if you could follow along. John 20 verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peace be with you, child. And verse 22, our final verse. Uh, Sunday school is good fun, believe me. Uh, Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Over the next five weeks at Follow Baptist Church, we're going to be doing a DNA series. It's a chance to look at the central things for us as a church and what is most important. Each week we're going to look at a different core value, we're going to unpack that, and we hope and pray that you're inspired by who God's called us to be and what He wants us to do. We're created in the image of a God whose desire is to seek and save the lost. David Bosch once said that mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have a commission to go, leaving our comfort zones and always being prepared to serve and give an answer for the hope that we have. We desire to live intentionally and missionally in and through our church. We want to be characterized by our love for and our service of people in our local community and beyond as modeled by Christ. We want to think deeply about our mission field and be led by the Holy Spirit as we seek to engage with people and see them come to a saving faith in Christ. This mission will be demonstrated in outreach, community engagement, missionary support, partnerships, service, training and church planting. My wife has been looking forward to that video all month. <laughs> she just whispered in my ears, don't say anything. Very disobedient, aren't I? Sorry, darling. Speak first, apologise later. If you haven't picked it up already, we're focusing on mission today. It's our topic for 
uh, last week in our DNA series. And if you've been here since day one, you're probably thinking, oh, not again. Here's mission again. It's been mission, mission, mission since we started. And maybe you feel like it's a bit of an overload and we talk about mission all the time. But there's a very good reason that we talk about it a lot of the time. And that is that we are a people on mission and that God has called us to mission, and we want it to be a core value of our church. We don't just exist to be comfortable and to love one another in a community like this, although that is absolutely essential. That's why fellowship is one of our core values as well. But we don't want to just have a love that's inward. We also want to have a love that's outward, that loves people and reaches them with the gospel. We are a people on mission. Uh, If you don't come to follow, usually our vision is very simple. Our vision is Jesus. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. We want to lift up the name of Christ over the officer region. And we believe that officer and the whole region should be a better place because Baptist Church exists. This follow Baptist Church exists. And that you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit and we're called to make a difference. And so as we gather and scatter, we believe that God is going to use us to be a blessing. And so mission isn't just part of our schedule. Mission is our schedule. That's what we think at Follow Baptist Church. Every moment of every day, we are on mission, whether that's sitting in the cafe, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's having dinner with your family, whether that's in your educational institution, your uni, your school, your TAFE, whether that's in your friendship circle, at your sporting club, wherever, whenever, whoever, we have an opportunity to represent Jesus, to love people, to bless people, and to share the story of all that Jesus has done in our lives. God's a God on mission. He has a plan to redeem us from the mess that we've created for ourselves. He is turning all things around in Christ, and we'll see that in all its fullness when Jesus returns. But in the meantime, in the midst of the brokenness and the darkness, the Bible says we are called to be salt and light to this world. We are called to make this world a better place by pointing them to Jesus. And the reality is this world should be a better place because you exist and because I exist and because we have Christ living in us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus taking the good news of the gospel. And so as a church, we're not going to sit around being apathetic. We're not going to sit around while people go to hell. We're going to be a people on mission. And so if you are new today, Well, this is the first week you've been here during our DNA series. You've come to the last week. This is week five. Uh, You can listen to the rest on iTunes or or via the church website. Um, But so far, we've explored Bible teaching and training as one of our key focus areas, Um, discipleship and leadership development, fellowship. Last week, we looked at generosity, and today we're talking about mission. Now, if you were here from day one, you'll know that the first book we taught through here at Follow was the book of Acts. And when we taught through the book of Acts, we had a bit of a focus on mission. And I don't know if you remember that series, um, but we had a, we had balloons as our visual. Our launch day, we released balloons and we had balloons in the auditorium. And the reason we had balloons as our visual is because when a balloon goes up into the air, it goes wherever the wind takes it. You never see a balloon up in the sky arguing with the wind, saying, no, you go that way and I'll go this way. And all the balloons go that way, and then this one little rebellious one goes that way. No, wherever the wind goes, the balloon goes. And in the same way as um, born-again, spirit-filled Christians, we need to go wherever the Spirit leads us on mission. Where He is leading, He wants us to be people who follow. And so we talked a lot about mission in that first series, and so doing one week on mission today was kind of hard to know what to cover. And so I thought it would be good to recap some of the stuff we've already talked about. 
for those that weren't here and a refresher for those who were. But also at the end, I want to introduce something which is a bit of a new concept, which hopefully will be helpful as well. And so in the Acts series, we didn't actually start in the book of Acts. We actually went all the way back to Genesis. And we talked about how from the very start, God's been a God that's always sent his people on mission. We met a guy called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, and God called Abram, and he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, be like the sand on the seashore. You are going to be so blessed. And the reason I'm blessing you is that through you, you would be a blessing to all people on earth. And so I think sometimes the Jewish nation, Israel, they, they kind of miss that at times. But in the New Testament, we see the promises made to Abram were fulfilled in Christ. We see in Christ that people from all nations are blessed because Jesus didn't just die for Jewish people. He died for the sins of all mankind. He was a Jewish carpenter and uh, he was the one who helped fulfill the, the promises made to Abram and the nation of Israel. And so in him, we see those things fulfilled. He was a Jewish carpenter. He was the son of God. He was perfect in every way. And he willingly gave his life on the cross. And that all started right back from the creation, but also when God sent Abram and Abram made a decision to go. And we talked about how the word go is an important word in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. But Jesus has died for all mankind. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid our death penalty. And if we accept what he did for us, we will be saved. doesn't matter what nationality you are. doesn't matter what background you have. doesn't matter if you see yourself as a good person or a bad person. You've had successes or failures. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that whenever we come to Jesus, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. We'll be forgiven. We will have the hope of eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. And I'm so glad Karen's here today because she's excited about it. <laughs> Very good. And so we read what Jesus did. But then we see Jesus lived. He died on the cross. He rose again. And then he came back. And while he was on earth, he gives his followers, his disciples, what we call the Great Commission. And this is where we see that word go becoming very important again. He says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Here's the all nations things again baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so as we flip the page from the Gospels into the book of Acts, that's exactly what we see starting to happen. The disciples, the followers of Christ, they they start to go and share the good news of the kingdom. And as they do that in the book of Acts, we we meet a character called Saul. Now, Saul wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a follower of Christ. In fact, he hated Jesus. His life mission was to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And so he spent every day traveling around, persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison, trying to shut down Christianity any way he could. And in a kind of irony, he's on the way to a place called Damascus to do the same thing there. But it's on the road to Damascus that he encounters the risen Christ. And we see something spectacular happen. In one moment, his life changes forever. Jesus appears to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say why you're persecuting the church. He doesn't say why you are persecuting Christians. He said, no, why are you persecuting me? Good question. Paul uh, is struck blind. We read later in the account that 
Um, someone lays hands on him and he receives his sight again and it's like scales fall from his eyes and for the first time he sees that Jesus is Lord and that instead of persecuting Christians, he actually needs to become a Christian. He needs to accept Christ as his Lord and Saviour for the forgiveness of his sins and for the hope of eternal life and so he gives his life to Jesus. And in that instant, Paul goes from being the persecutor to becoming part of the persecuted. For the rest of his life, he lives with the risk of being killed for his faith. He goes everywhere in the whole known world, preaching the gospel, seeing people touched and healed and transformed, planting churches wherever he goes. And here's this guy who was trying to shut down the mission of God. God has a bit of a chuckle about it, I think. And he takes Paul and he uses him to become perhaps the biggest catalyst of Christianity we've ever seen. It's incredible, isn't it? God can't be mocked. He does something incredible in Paul's life, Saul's life. Saul becomes Paul. You and I are sitting here today as part of his legacy, as he went and shared the gospel and as others did the same year after year up until now, we have come to know Jesus Christ as well. Just as Paul met the risen Christ, we have met the risen Christ. Just as Paul was forgiven, we have been forgiven. Just as Paul was saved, we have been saved and it's on the back of many people being obedient to God, stepping out and making a decision to go. And so in the same way, you and I are called to go and be people on mission. Now in the Acts series, we talked about one of the problems. One of the problems is this, that many Christians and many churches don't go. They stay and they get very comfortable. And that's what we tend to do. We want to stay where it's comfortable. And I think a lot of people treat Christianity a little bit like a pleasure cruiser. You've been on a, a cruise ship and learned lots of people that have been on those trips and they're amazing. Apparently they're a good cheap holiday. But you go on a cruise ship and you're heading to some sort of exotic destination, but on the way you just sort of sit back and you consume. Everything's done for you. You can have a smorgasbord for breakfast, lunch and dinner, diet when you get back. You, you can watch live music, you can watch theatrical performances. On some of the boats you can swim in their pool, you can work out in their gym. Everything's done for you. You sit back and relax while you cruise into your promised destination. A lot of Christians live their life like that. They live their faith like that. That we have the most incredible destination. We talked about it last week. The generosity of God is that he's prepared a place for us. No more pain, no more suffering, no more evil. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. I have gone to prepare a place for you. I will come back and I'll take you to be where I am. That's what we look forward to. That is our hope. That's our destination. But many Christians see that as a golden ticket just to sit back and to consume and to get comfortable while we kind of cruise into heaven. Well, I don't think that's what we're called to do. Can you imagine um, this world being a pleasure cruise? For so many people, it's not a pleasure cruise. Can you imagine if you're on a cruise ship and you're 100 metres from your destination and it sank and you found yourself in the water and there's some life rafts around but instead of helping people get onto the life raft, like surely that's what we do, we just jump in the life raft ourselves and we take a leisurely paddle back to shore. People would say, what, you're selfish? Maybe even criminal. I don't know if you remember the name Francesco Chitino. He's the captain of the Costa Concordia, an Italian cruise ship which struck a rock on the 13th of January 2012 and began to sink now, there's an unwritten rule on ships that if you're the captain, you're meant to be the last one off the boat, even if it means going down with the ship. But not so for good old Francesco. All reports were that 
as the ship started to sink. Uh, him and, and some of the other men, for that matter, uh, were busy pushing women and children aside, climbing over them to get onto the life rafts to save themselves while the people died. You can just picture Francesco on the side of the ship saying, ships ahoy, everyone, as he jumps off onto a life raft, and everyone else around drowns. Now, right around the world, he was rightly condemned of not just being selfish, but being criminal. Is it any less selfish if we have the best news imaginable? If we have the gospel, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can spend eternity in the presence of the almighty God, is it any less selfish if we have that news and keep it to ourselves? Is it any less selfish if we let people sink in their sin instead of pointing them to the life raft who is Jesus who can save them from death? That's why it's so important that we are people who deliberately and proactively go on mission, stretching out of our comfort zones, finding ways to love people, serve people, and to share the good news of the gospel with them. And one of the other reasons this is really important, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's important because people are no longer coming to us. For so long, we sat here and we put on an outreach event or we put on a church service and people would flock to us. The last couple of hundred years, that strategy has been largely effective because we've lived in what we would loosely call a Christian country. Most kids grew up in Sunday school. They went to church. They held on to biblical worldviews. But we need to wake up, church, and realize that we're not in a Christian country anymore. We're in a post-Christian country. People aren't growing up in Sunday school. The majority aren't flocking to church, and they're certainly not holding on to Christian worldviews anymore. And so if we just sit and simply wait for people to walk in those doors every weekend, we're going to have very, 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 very limited gospel impact. The impact we'll have is as we are filled by the Spirit, as we're equipped together, as we go and share the gospel wherever God leads us. And so perhaps more than any time in history, it's essential that we are people who go. I grew up at Mentone Baptist Church. I'll never forget the sign above the exit door as we left each week. Above the exit door, it said, you are now entering the mission field. And I always love that because, you know, often we think about the mission field and it's in Africa or Asia or somewhere else, but... The mission field is wherever God places you. And some people are called overseas, and that's an awesome thing. We release them with blessing and see them minister where God places them. But the vast majority of us are called to be here. And so our mission field is right around us. It's people on that train going past. It's people that we meet every day in our workplaces or wherever God puts us. And so we need to understand that. And that's why the gathering's so important. You know, it's so important that we gather each week. We, we gather to worship God, but we also gather to build one another up to encourage one another, to pray together, uh, to you know spur one another on to love and good deeds. All those things are so important. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for ministry. If you've been on our website and seen our vision video, I talk about church being uh, something that gathers and scatters. It's not a building, it's God's people. We gather together, then we scatter. But I talk about church being a little bit like a divine petrol station. When we gather together on a Sunday, or in an MCG during the week, it's like a tune-up. We tune up around the Word of God. We we fill up in prayer and encouragement. And we, we come and we're, we're filled and equipped and tuned up so that we can actually go and be people on mission where God places us during the week. Now, a lot of people say, I don't need church to be a Christian. And that's technically true. We only need Jesus to, to call on His name, to accept Him as Lord and Saviour. But I'm yet to meet an effective Christian who doesn't ever gather with other Christians. 
These are some of the things that we covered on Mission in the Acts series. Um, But today I want to introduce a different concept that we didn't really cover in that series. And it comes from today's passage in John chapter 20, which is only three verses long. The shortest passage we've done so far since we've been at Follow. And I'm only focusing on two of those verses, verse 21 and 22. But what I want to get across today, if I was to give you the, the sentence that would cover the rest of this message today, I want to get across this, that mission is primarily an activity of God, not of the church. And so by living on mission, we're joining God in what he's already doing. And in this passage today that Ray read for us, we see the triune God in action on mission. Verse 21, Jesus speaking, says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this account. Theologians use the Latin word missio dei, which means the mission of God. And the point of it was expanded by a theologian called David Bosch, who says that mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but rather an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Jürgen Moltmann, another theologian, says it's not the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfill in the world. It's the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father that includes the church. And so in this passage, we see God, all of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is on mission. And the greatest missional act the world has ever seen is that God the Father sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to leave the glory of heaven and to enter the fragility of the world he created, ultimately dying the worst death imaginable in order to save a bunch of sinners who didn't love or appreciate him whatsoever, all to reconcile them to himself. It's incredible, isn't it? Let me say that again. I want you to take it in. The greatest missional act the world has ever seen is that God the Father sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to leave the glory, the majesty, the perfection of heaven, to enter the fragility of the world that he himself created, dying the worst death imaginable in order to save a bunch of sinners, you and me, who didn't love or appreciate or seek him whatsoever, all to reconcile us to himself. That's incredible that God would do that. We don't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. And yet God has done that for us. That's incredible. God is a missionary God. And we need to understand that mission originates in the very character and heartbeat of God himself. You might think, well, if mission originates from God, and we see this greatest act of missionary Uh, service when God sent his one and only son. What about those in the Old Testament that went on mission before that? Were they on mission before God? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. And this is an important theological thing to understand today, that Jesus coming to earth in human form and dying on the cross was not some sort of divine afterthought. It's not that that God was was watching over the Garden of Eden and watching Adam and Eve thinking, surely they're not going to take from the one tree I commanded them not to take from. It's not like he was watching them thinking, no, they're not going to do it. Surely they're not going to do it. They're getting closer to the tree. The serpent's there. They won't do it. They won't. They did it. What are we going to do? My goodness, my, my whole plan is now thrown in disarray. It's a mess. I never saw that coming, that blind side of me. What am I going to do? Quick, Jesus, Holy Spirit, get in here, crisis meeting. What are we going to do? Let's work this out together. 
one of us is going to have to go and fix this mess. Quick, let's flick a coin. Jesus, heads or tails, tails, fails. Right, Jesus, you're going. You're going to die for these people. You're going to sort this mess out. No, no, it wasn't a divine afterthought. Not one bit of a divine afterthought. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus was slain at the foundation of the world. And God thought, if it's going to cost me my very son, it's still worth it. Knowing exactly what was going to happen, knowing exactly what it was going to cost, he created us knowing it would cost him his son. That must give us a glimpse of how much he loves you and me. That he would do that anyway. Let me tell you a real truth this morning. Right now you should be very grateful that I'm not the creator. Because if I was creating you and I knew it was going to cost me my son, not one of you would exist. (laughs) Not one. And yet God knew what it was going to cost and he created us anyway. God is love. Incredible, sacrificial, unconditional love. Mission costs. It costs God the Father his son. It costs God the son his life. If mission originates in God and we are creating the image of this God and we're going to join him in his mission, it's going to cost us as well. It's going to cost us in time. It's going to cost us in finance. It's going to cost us in convenience and comfort and pleasure. For some of us, it's going to cost us incredibly. For many people around the world, every single day, it's costing them their very lives as they are brutally killed for their faith. But let me tell you, whatever it costs on this earth, it'll be more than worth it in eternity to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Let me encourage you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me tell you, mission's not going to be popular. Your next door neighbor's not going to love it when you tell them about Jesus. When you're out in the street, when you're meeting people, when you're living for Christ, people aren't going to love it. Just yesterday on the lakeside um, residence group, I saw someone post, the Bible bashes are out again today. People don't want to hear about the Bible. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Mission's not going to be easy. It's going to cost us. But I love what this passage says. It says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, what was it? The approval of his heavenly father. The joy set before him was the salvation of you and me. His desire is that none of us should perish. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Think about the cross for a second. It wasn't a picnic in a park. Brutally killed, whipped, beaten, crown of thorns shoved in his head. I'm going to talk about this in communion today. He endured that and he said, it's worth going through that. I'm willing to endure that for the joy set before me. And for us, we're going to have to think about the current circumstances. It's going to be difficult, and it's easy to get discouraged when it's difficult, but we're going to look through the discouragement and see the joy of eternity and say it's worth it. It's got to be our heartbeat 
for mission, to see our husband, our wife, our friends, our family, those we meet right now who are separated from God in eternity with us. There'll be great sacrifices, but whatever it costs us, the joy of eternity in the presence of the Almighty God with the people we love, it's worth it. So it's important to see that mission finds its center point and its starting point in God, not in the church, not even in Follow Baptist Church. We want to be on mission, but it's not our mission. It's God's mission. And there's a couple of reasons why this is really important. First one is this, that when mission is based around and originates from the church, then the danger is that it becomes territorial, denominational, at worst self-seeking. We may only want to participate in mission if it's going to get people into our local church, our church, our name, our mission. But mission is never about making our name known. It's about making God's name known. It's not about our mission, it's about God's mission. It's not for our glory, it's for His glory. I think one of the most ridiculous things I see on a regular basis is churches competing against other churches. That's just, that's the definition of insanity that we would do that. And it shows a, a gross misunderstanding of where mission comes from. Because if we truly understand that mission is an attribute of God, then we'll start to understand that regardless of what local church God places you in, we're all part of the same mission. We might be different geographical locations. We might have uh, different unique ways of doing things, different styles, unique parts to play in God's mission, but we're all on the same mission. It's not our mission, it's God's mission. And so our job as a church is not to compete with the churches down the road, but rather to complement and encourage other churches in the act of mission, to discern what God is already doing in this region and discover where the Spirit is leading us as a church and allow Him to lead us into mission in a way that's unique for us as a local church. To ask questions like, what has God given us? What are the passions He's placed in His people in this room? What has He placed in our hand? And how can we take all of that, guided by the Holy Spirit, and use that to bring glory to God? That's our job, to seek God on exactly that. And so when we live on mission, we're not starting something new. We are joining God in his mission to redeem the world. The second reason why it's so important to understand that mission comes from God, not from the church, is that if it's God's mission, he promises that he will be with us and that it will ultimately succeed. Verse 22, it says, With that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He says, when you go on mission, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And we know the end of the story. If you've read your Bible, you get to the end, you'll see that God wins. And that in Christ we win. We're in eternity with him. And so we know that as we join God in his mission, it's ultimately going to succeed in the future, even if it's difficult in the present. Earlier I talked about Saul, who had a mission to destroy the church. And I often think about what went through his head the moment he was saved he must have automatically realized how ridiculous his previous mission was. How arrogant is it to think that one person amongst billions of people who have lived on earth could destroy a mission that belongs to the very God who created us? And so if we're joining with God's mission, we are assured that it will ultimately succeed. But when it's our mission, we have no such guarantees. Saul isn't the only person throughout history who tried to wipe out Christianity. There's been many people that have predicted that Christianity would be wiped out, that the mission of God would be stopped. In 1710, there was an English writer by the name of Thomas Woolston who said that Christianity would be completely wiped out by the year 1900. 
How'd that work out? (laughs) Within a generation of that incredibly accurate prophetic statement, John Wesley and George Whitfield led a worldwide revival that saw hundreds of thousands of people saved and thousands of new churches planted. In the late 1700s, French philosopher Voltaire predicted that Christianity would crumble and die within 50 years and was determined to help that happen. In a letter that he wrote to Frederick II, the King of Prussia, dated the 5th of January 1767, he wrote these words about Christianity. He said, Christianity is assuredly the most ridiculous, the most absurd and the most bloody religion which has ever infected this world. Your majesty will do the human race an eternal service by eradicating this infamous superstition. I do not say this among the rabble, the Christians, who are not worthy of being enlightened and who are apt for every yoke. I say it among honest people, among men who think, among those who wish to think. My one regret in dying is that I cannot aid you in this noble enterprise, the finest and most respectable which the human mind can point out. Well, in actual fact, the 19th and 20th centuries saw the explosion of Christianity, saw more people saved in those two centuries than in the previous 18 combined. There's even a story that Voltaire's house was bought 100 years later and used to print Bibles. I don't know if that's true. I like to think it is because I think God's got a sense of humour. But even if it isn't true, I'll tell you what is true. Voltaire's long gone, dead and buried. The mission of God continues to thrive, continues to flourish. I think sometimes God may chuckle in the face of this kind of opposition. Communist China tried, burnt down churches to the ground. They persecuted and imprisoned Christians. They made the owning of Bibles and the attending of church services illegal. And yet what happened? The underground church flourished in the midst of such incredible persecution. In an article published in The Telegraph in April 19th, 2014, Professor Yang, expert on religion in China, said that China was on course to become the world's most Christian country within 15 years, with an estimated 160 million Christians by 2025. God just chuckles, doesn't he? You know, you try and shut him down. You try and stop the mission of God, but the mission of God is unshakable. It's unbreakable. It's unstoppable because it doesn't originate in a fragile church. It originates in a God who's eternal. As we join him in his mission, we're guaranteed that ultimately we will see it succeed. So church, I want to encourage you at the end of this message to be people who have go on the inside of you, that you're willing to go, to step out of the comfort zone, to worry less about what people will think, to find ways to love to serve, to bless, and to share the gospel with people in your lives.